Hello and welcome to Last Week on Earth with Gary. I'm your host, Odessa Primus, and today I'm chatting with Florian Newcart from Terra Quantum about all things quantum. What is quantum physics and technology? How can it be applied? And what will it look like in the automotive, medical, pharmacy, finance, and energy sectors? And why is combining the first and second quantum revolutions exciting? Subscribe, share, and enjoy. If you were describing quantum to a really curious child, what would you say? And would you start with quantum technology, quantum computing, or quantum science? If you start with thinking about quantum computing, so in general, um, we all know computers, right? Those that we use in our everyday lives, the computer that I have in front of me, the smartphones that we use, computers um, that have been used for decades to achieve fantastic, marvelous things. Um, one could even argue that a computer in general is the greatest invention of humankind at all so far, because all the things that have been possible through a computer or by using a computer only, um, they're incredible. So when we look at medicine, when we look at um, spaceflight, when we look at uh, vehicles, when we look at how cities are operated, so all these areas have been revolutionized by one device, uh, by the computer that can simulate other devices. If you look at a quantum computer, um, the idea started um, very similarly. So it is a device that is supposed to simulate other things. Uh, and in that case, it started uh, with the very small things. So the very small things like atoms and molecules. So the things, the very things that we are made of, that humans are made of, that stuff around us, everything in the world is made of. And uh, it turns out that this problem of simulating these very small things is a very complicated one because on a very small scale, things behave totally differently than to what we experience in the macroscopic world, in everything that we see, taste, everything that we sense. Um, for example, <clears throat> if we look at my phone here, uh, right at my hand, in my hand, it's definitely here in my hand. Uh, it's different if we look at things in the quantum world. Things are not in a definite position. So, and here the um, process of looking becomes very interesting, but I'll get to that in a minute. In the quantum world, um, if we think about the smallest things that we are made of, atoms, for example, a position, or if we look at even smaller particles, such as electrons, a position is not definite. A position is more, uh, it could be here and it could be there. It's a probability distribution. That's what it's called. And the interesting thing is that as long as I don't look, it is not at a fixed position at all. So it is more smeared out. So smeared out means, as I said, this probability distribution is more likely to be here. It's a little likely to be there, uh, distributed all over the place. So it can actually occupy with a certain probability every position this physical system allows it to occupy. And um, that's very interesting. And that's totally different than to what we experience in the macroscopic world. And because of these, uh, this behavior, so this becomes more complex when we talk about slightly bigger things, when we talk about molecules. So all these interactions, this not being in one definite state, but being in all states that it can be, being in all positions, being having all velocities. So this makes it very, very complicated to simulate for these very powerful computers that enabled so many things in our world. For example, if we're interested in new materials, molecules, so bigger uh, systems of molecules and new batteries, then we cannot simulate this. We cannot even simulate the caffeine molecule exactly. The caffeine, at least 
I know it very well. And um, uh, that already is very, very difficult to simulate. So with all the compute power that we have, with all the compute power that we will eventually see in the future, we can't simulate a caffeine molecule. But then people started thinking and, uh, and asking questions that so if these simple small things are so complicated to simulate, what if I could build a computer based on these things, based on, on these weird quantum effects? Would that mean it is more powerful than all the other computers that we know and use? And it turns out it is. And uh, so that's how quantum computing started. So people were thinking about how to use all the strange interactions, the strange effects that we see in the quantum world, in the very small world. How can we use that to build a computer that now can simulate this very small world? And that's how, how this all started. So people were worrying about how to simulate molecules, how to simulate chemistry, how to simulate physics. And uh, that's how the whole field of quantum computing was kicked off. And now people realize there are so many more things that we can do with these kind of computers. So there is another complex field that has been uh, developing over the decades, uh, which is called artificial intelligence. And in artificial intelligence, so we look into many different things, but there is one specific area, it's called machine learning, where we're interested in learning from observation, we're interested in learning from data. And it turns out that over the decades, many different assumptions were made, many different claims as to how the brain would work were made, but none of these were correct. And now you could ask, so if everything in the world is based on quantum physics, wouldn't that also mean that potentially the brain is based on quantum physics? Would that mean that um, if we develop algorithms, if we develop uh, computer programs that leverage quantum effects and try to more accurately simulate what's happening in the brain, that these would also be more powerful, that um, these could solve more complex problems. And it turns out this seems to be the direction that everyone is interested in going right now. So whereas the purely classical, and when I say classical, I mean all these algorithms that we run on conventional computers are very powerful already. There is a chance that over time, the algorithm that we train with quantum computers and classical systems in combination become even more powerful. That's fantastic. It's. It, I feel like I was reading more technical version of, of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy trilogy. <laughs> um, <laughs> how does one invent something that's created so much in the imagination? I assume a lot of quantum isn't invented yet, right? Or like how, what percentage of what we think quantum technology will be is already invented and how does one approach something that's so obscure? I think this is a question I cannot answer how much <laughs> is already invented. But um, the, the thing is uh, also in quantum physics, when you look at uh, quantum physics, not everything is understood. Um, we have a nice mathematical framework that describes the observation that we can make in experiments. And um, this is, the framework of quantum physics that we have at hand. Some of the things like the weird effects entanglement. Um, so when you take two particles, for example, um, and you entangle them, then you can, could com as a, compare that to classical correlation, but it's more than that. So entanglement means um, they are correlated. But now if I move these entangled particles apart, say I keep one here on earth and I move the other one 
very, very far away, maybe to Andromeda galaxy, about 770 kiloparsecs away, then um, if I do something to that particle on Earth, it immediately, without time delay, affects what's happening to that particle uh, in the Andromeda galaxy. And uh, that is really interesting because there is another very interesting theory in physics. Um, it is called special relativity. And this one says nothing can move faster than light. However, if I now have these two particles and uh, without time delay, something that I do to this particle happens to the other one before light could ever reach it, there's something weird going on. And um, so we have a description of what that is. Uh, these two theories, by the way, relativity and quantum uh, physics, they're not united. So people have been looking for this a very long time, um, but they describe different aspects of the universe. But there is not one theory, um, uh, quantum gravity, uh, that we have uh, today that combines general relativity and, and uh, quantum physics. But back to these two particles. Um, so we understand enough of these particles that we can say of this behavior by observation that we can say there is no hidden information communicated. So we can say relativity is still safe because there is no light for whatsoever or other information communicated between these two particles. It's something else. Now we have this description. We understand enough of it to build a computer. We understand enough of it to build sensors. But then the philosophical meaning of this and other uh, interesting things, like a particle is not in a definite position. I only have physical reality, something that I can feel, touch, sense when I look. So how is that possible? What does that mean? Well, we don't know exactly. And um, so this is where there are still a lot of open questions. So that's why it's very difficult to answer what has been invented or not, because we haven't fully understood the very thing that we base our inventions on. And um, so there is, quantum computing for one, but then there is other things too that are interesting. There are quantum sensors, sensors that are way more powerful than everything that we know and use today. So for example, when you think about radar systems um, and uh, vehicles, so vehicles use radar systems. So especially in, in this era and that we're currently in where people think about self-driving vehicles a lot and how to make vehicles uh, uh, more um, uh, independent of the driver. So here it's very important that we have sensing devices, cameras, LiDAR, radar systems. But now <clears throat> some of these systems like LiDAR, uh, they are based on laser light. So LiDAR, they are very receptive to environmental influences. There is, for example, rain. It cannot see through that. It cannot see through fog, through snow. So what to do about that? We need new devices new, better sensors. Mm -hmm. And um, one of these is a quantum radar system. The quantum radar system, it does not suffer from these weaknesses. It can see through fog, it can see through rain like a regular radar, but it can more, can do more. So um, it works on the very basis of these entangled particles that we just talked about. So it works with photons, it shoots out photons, so to say, but assume it only has two. It has one, that is here still in the detector and the other one that it shoots out that is however entangled with the one that we keep at the detector so now this particle is going to hit something and um, if i do it the right way now because we know this particle influences immediately the state of this other particle i can derive uh, what material i hit um, i don't need to wait for this particle 
to get back to my uh, detector. So like a regulator system where you always, you do these bounces, you shoot out particles and wait for them to come back. And then you see how far something is away. You can derive the shape, etc. With a quantum radar uh, for the first uh, information that we can interpret, we don't need to wait until it comes back. However, um, it's a good thing still, once it comes back, um, then because of this entanglement, we exactly know which particle we, we sent out. Um, and all the other light that comes in, which is a very big problem for radar system, it's called the background noise. Uh, we can eliminate that because we know none of these other light particles is entangled with the ones in my system. So they're not the ones that I shot out. So what that means is, that over very long distances, over kilometers even, I can see and sense more accurately um, any shape uh, that's moving, anything that I uh, need to in a self-driving vehicle, for example, to avoid a crash, anything mm -hmm. in planes that I need to make them more safe. Mm -hmm. This is radar and quantum sensing. And there's more. And there is a third pillar, which is cryptography. Um, and cryptography too. So I'm, I don't want to... Uh, worry, worried people too much, but so you may have heard about um, uh, some quantum algorithms that have the potential to crack current encryption. And this is a big deal. It's a big deal because every communication that we use in the internet is based on encryption that we have to assume is secure and not vulnerable against attacks. Every telebanking that we do every uh, chat that we make, every cryptocurrency exchange uh, that we make is based on the trust that we have into these secure protocols. Now, <clears throat> there have been theoretical proofs over years already um, that quantum computers pose a threat to these encryption algorithms. And uh, the more time passes, the more threats people uncover. Mm -hmm. And so what we have to do is make or communication quantum secure again. But that's very, very difficult. It's not something that happens overnight. So we need to employ algorithms that can withstand an attack of a quantum computer. We need maybe hardware that makes communication quantum secure again. Um, and imagine you have to do that for the whole internet. Mm -hmm. So that's something that is, is really crucial that we start thinking about today. And here too, we will see more and more inventions come up. So not everything has been invented. People, so also we at TerraQuantum think a lot about these things. We're not the only ones. So there are many things that still need to be done. Could you and, tell me a little yeah. bit about what you do at TerraQuantum and what is hybrid quantum computing? It's really uh, about maintaining a contact to the customers, to the world out there, and uh, take what we see, take what we uh, observe and bring it back into engineering, develop products that customers like, and also bring it back to research and um, help drive research into the right direction. On the other hand, it also incorporates um, understanding uh, newest results that research produces and how to uh, leverage that in, in quantum technology and bring that into a product that could be interesting for the world. And what it, what is the Terra Quantum product? What is the what is the company or organization do? There are a couple products. Um, so the one is that you already mentioned, hybrid quantum computing. So there is uh, the first pillar; it's uh, algorithms as a service. The second pillar is compute as a service, and the third pillar is uh, safety as a service. So the first two, I will combine these. 
So here we develop hybrid algorithms. So these are algorithms, uh, basically software that uses uh, everything in terms of classical, so non-quantum high-performance computing that is out there and combine it with quantum computing. And this is an approach <clears throat> that becomes more and more prominent because uh, so at quantum we, we realize that high-performance computers that we use today and that do things really well today will also do things that they do well today, do well tomorrow. This is why we think uh, high-performance computing will always have its place and a quantum computing uh, will be completely integrated. You can see quantum computing either as a stage of evolution uh, in high-performance computing, also, or also as something that uh, coexists on the side. Well, classical high-performance computing will also continue to evolve. It's not over because quantum computing is here. So still, there will be many, many interesting things to come in the future. And now combining these two is most important, combining these two in terms of software, uh, efficiently. So take an algorithm that has a very complex part in it that classical computers can solve. So you may now look, is this something that I can solve better on a quantum computer? And leave the algorithm as is and take this small part, solve it on a quantum computer and basically ingest it back into this algorithm. Or think about completely new algorithms so that don't have a classical counterpart. So and for the, the hybrid quantum computing, we both offer um, the software, so the libraries, plus the hybrid cloud, uh, the QMware cloud. And the cloud system is not just uh, the hardware, it's many, many more things. It's an operating system that takes care of the distribution of what goes to a quantum part, what goes to a classical part, um, and a couple more things that are uh, on top of that. But in the end, the goal is very much as we use computers today, very much as we write business software, uh, as we use business software today, this is what the goal for our hybrid systems is and the cloud is. Right now, when you think about quantum computing, very often um, people want you to uh, co write code uh, that accesses single bits. You have to understand the topology of the chip, so how these bits interact. You have to understand the error behavior. But when I'm a business software uh, um, engineer or even a business software user, I don't care about that. I just want to use it and write my code. And that's what we aim for with Terra Quantum. And uh, we want to make sure that also people that have another background than quantum physics can use our systems. Okay. And how do how does your approach or Terra Quantum's approach stand out from the others? What are the competing approaches? It stands out uh, in terms of the hybridization, because when we talk about hybridization, we mean something different than others mean very often when they talk about hybridization. So for us, it's a fully integrated platform that means um, there is no real distinction between classical and quantum uh, when it comes to the software that sits on top. So what the software that we have does is treat uh, this whole block of compute hardware, both classical and quantum, as one block. Whereas when you look at many other uh, uh, our competitors that uh, offer a hybridization, then <clears throat> what they mean is, so we can process something on a classical part, then we take a result, then we send it over to the quantum computer, and then we do something classical again. And this is a problem because when you do it that way, then in this step where you use a quantum computer, you're limited to what the quantum computer in the current stage can do. And right now, real quantum computers are not super powerful. So they can do very nice uh, uh, things already show um, that there is 
um, in certain areas, um, even advantages already today, but they're not as big um, and as powerful as we want them to be and as they will be in the near future. So that's why this hybridization is really, really important. Um, but then we realize that this hybridization, even as quantum chips become more powerful in the future, will continue to be important. So you can imagine our soft and hardware as sort of having a knob of quantumness and you can increase this quantumness um, as you please, as the software needs it. And uh, lastly, this approach um, has the very big advantage of um, that you have to write your code only once. So you write software today um, using the hybrid architecture today, but as or even simulators. So we provide simulators as well that are more powerful than quantum chips today. But then uh, as, as these systems mature over time, we just plug in new hardware underneath and you don't have to touch your software anymore. So write once, run forever, so mm -hmm. to say. We already talked about application of the into the automotive industry. What other industries or what other areas outside of the realms of, of technology could you describe the application of quantum computing and how it would work, how it would like improve that field? What could it change? What could it improve? So there is one field um, that's particularly exciting and that's uh, interesting to many industries. So that is material science. Uh, and uh, this is when we think about simulating molecules, this is something that uh, other computers can uh, do, uh, so not easily do. So we always have to do approximations. And if it becomes to bigger systems, it's not possible at all. So material science is interesting because, of course, in the automotive industry, when you think about batteries, when you think about chassis, then this is interesting for other areas too, in all production uh, industries, so to say, where you have to work with materials, um, this problem or this particular um, area will be very, very exciting. Now, this is also very relevant um, when it comes to pharmacy. So because what you try to do in both in simulating materials and in simulating drugs, for example, is uh, you simulate the molecule exactly. And if I can simulate how a molecule acts on a protein, if I can do that quantum physically, that is huge. Because then if you can do that, you can find personalized treatment um, for every disease that we can think of. Right now, <clears throat> uh, it's the same with materials, by the way. Right now, when people um, try to find new drugs, when people try to find new materials, it's very much based on experiments. So people have an educated guess. They try something out, make a thousand experiments, and maybe something useful comes out. Now we do it differently with quantum computers. Now we don't have to do this experiment, this physical experiment in the physical world. We use the quantum computer and um, simulate all these interactions and uh, all the interesting atoms, we stack them together to molecules and see what it does to uh, a certain part in the body. And um, if we can do that, if we can do that fast, that is huge, that is enormous, that will have a major impact on healthcare. So this is one other area or, or say a related area that is very interesting in finance too. So in finance, uh, you know, when it comes to trading, when it comes to optimization of portfolio, that is a very complex topic. And uh, here too, um, we are at the border of what classical machines, no matter how powerful they are, can do. And uh, we could show that with, so even what 
what people use today in the trading environment, they're very skilled in developing these algorithms and have been doing for decades. So here we could show in a very interesting uh, project uh, with an unnamed customer that um, for collateral optimization, we could save on an annual basis 240 million by improving uh, the optimization with a hybrid algorithm. So just plugging into the existing system and, and bringing in our hybrid algorithm and run the collateral on that, and that saves 240 million recurrent. And that's that's huge as well. So then the other industry, another industry that I can think of, um, this is not a really an industry, it's more society that I can think of is if you uh, look at um, the environment. So we have so many environmental problems, um, so many challenges that we have to solve and uh, that again ranges from energy. So energy, when we are thinking about fusion, for example, that seems to be the new uh, path forward when it comes to energy um, conversion. But here too, so quantum simulation is incredibly important. So you have to be able to simulate quantum physically what's going on when you hit your pallet with a laser, for example. Um, and uh, that's one thing. The other thing is, um, if you think about carbon monoxide or dioxide in the atmosphere, so how do we uh, prevent the earth from ending up in a runaway um, greenhouse uh, effect? And uh, that requires us to extract carbon dioxide from the air. And uh, again, if you look at material simulation, you find materials that carbon dioxide can really attach well to, then you can uh, make uh, very powerful extractors. So these are things that will be huge. Um, when it comes to uh, fleets of vehicles or cities, so say cities, a city want to improve uh, the traffic situation, um, you can optimize traffic based on traffic light switching, based on routing, such that the emission output is reduced, such that the accident probability is reduced, such that um, the uh, delivery of goods uh, becomes priority, delivery of people. So San Francisco, where I'm calling in from, is a public transportation first city for them. It's always really important that public transport gets through the city faster than any other transport. So um, you can optimize traffic for that. So these are these are just a few that I can name, but um, it, it's really, must say, it's really exciting. <laughs> Going back to my, my first question, what is the difference between referring to quantum computing and referring to quantum technology and science? There is uh, quantum technology, there is quantum, let's start with quantum physics. So quantum physics is the description of nature on a quantum physical level. Mm -hmm. Then we have quantum technology. We use quantum physics to build technology. Uh, quantum technology is not only one technology, it's a couple of technologies. One of these technologies is quantum computing. Mm -hmm. Another technology is quantum sensing. Another one is cryptography. Another one is... Um, <clears throat> metrology, where you try to interact with quantum systems and get as much information out of it before you destroy this very delicate state of quantum information. Um, there are multiple pillars in quantum tech and quantum tech uses quantum physics. What do you think is the coolest part about quantum? So if you were if you were at a dinner party where everybody else does completely something different, nothing to do with quantum or science or technology, what would what would be your bit? What would be your bit that that you say at the dinner party table? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm particularly excited, so of course, about quantum computing, but even more about applications in medicine. And applications in medicine, uh, we, we just talked about quantum computing in medicine, but there's other quantum technology in medicine. So if you think about, uh, for example, uh, laser treatments, 
Um, so treating um, arteries and uh, treating uh, calcifications in arteries by spatial temporal laser radiation, that is something that is really, really exciting because so it will help so many people if you can do that. And there is a lot of quantum in that. So there is how the laser uh, on a quantum physical level affects um, the molecule, how um, the laser radiation needs to be timed. So which is a nice optimization problem, which is again, nice for a quantum computer. So laser itself is a quantum technology. So we talk about two quantum revolutions. We have currently, we are in the second quantum revolution there was already a quantum revolution, the first one, and uh, this first one that enabled so many things. Again, if we, so the, the first one uh, is, or basically is uh, developing technologies based on quantum physics, um, like the laser, where you have many uh, coherent, many uh, particles that behave the same way. Um, and you can control these many uh, body systems. So then the transistor is one of these first quantum technologies the transistor enabled us to build the computer. Um, and now we are in a second quantum revolution where we are able to control single objects. So single electrons, for example, the qubit, for example, so build better computers. So, and uh, combining the first and the second quantum revolution is also particularly exciting. So I would say all the, the applications in medicine when it comes to laser treatment, when it comes to imagery, if we think about how, so I look at x-rays. X-rays are very harmful to the body if um, you admit it in high doses. So that these are very harmful because this is radiation that has a lot of energy. And um, when it hits the atoms in your body, it knocks out the electrons. So, and in the end, that means it destroys your DNA and can uh, hamper with the cell reproduction mechanism. So it's, it's very bad for your body in short. So now if we think about other ways of, getting information out of your body by improved nuclear magnetic resonance, by improved radiation, um, uh, uh, not therapies, uh, imagery. So for example, last week or two weeks ago, we published um, a paper that shows that you can create resonators using terahertz radiation, which can basically do the same thing uh, as X-rays, but it's not harmful to your body. So imagine we could replace now all X-ray devices this is uh, this is really interesting. So this is, by the way, also work that Terra Quantum has been doing. Then we have a big uh, block of medical research that is going in the back, where we are not yet ready to commercialize. Okay, so see, secret cool things in a bag. Yeah, it's not not hundred percent secret. We can we can talk about it, but um, it's uh, it's more to come. Yeah. Okay, sounds good. So maybe a future podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you for listening. The Global Arena Research Institute specializes in high-level research and analysis using big data and AI. In our podcasts, we bring you experts from various fields for fascinating and useful discussions. Until next time, have a great day.